Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness. And every week, I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the artist and writer, Adrienne Nieves, where I ask her, how did you become such an amazing artist? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I am beyond excited to welcome our guest this week, but I do just have to like set the stage. This is a guest who I discovered on Instagram and I became instantly obsessed to the point where like I actually have chills on my thighs and my triceps. What I just said that when I was thinking about when I discovered um, this stunning artist. She is a creator. She's an artist. She is also the founder of the Tessera Arts Collective and Abstractions Magazine, which I'm obsessed with. Welcome to the podcast, Adrienne Nieves. How are you? Good. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making time for us now. Just, I want to just, we are, we have so much to dive into, but I just want people to visualize. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. Um, but if you're not driving, listening to this, you can. Um, but if you can imagine that room that I sit in when I do getting curious and there's this like pink couch and there's this stunning work of art behind the couch. The artist who made that painting is literally who you're about to be listening to. Adrienne, how are you? <laughs> I'm well first I'm just feeling very very touched um by that lovely introduction um and I'm also I mean I gotta be honest I'm a little uh just excited and happy and just feeling really good energy so I'm a little like "Ah, I want to move I want to jump around I want to dance um Uh. but I'm I'm just I'm happy to be here I'm happy to get to like talk with you um, and you know, just, we get to talk about art. I love talking about art. I am newer to art. Like I've always liked art, but I never thought I would live in a world where like, I could like, you know, afford it and like mm-hmm. know about it. And like, and it's just so exciting that I can. And I, it just, it's so gorgeous. I love art so much. I just never knew that it was a world that I would get to like, you know, dabble in. And so When I first saw your work on Instagram, I felt like someone had taken me by the face and like direct, but in a good way and like (laughs) dragged me to this like fantastical, gorgeous world. I literally, usually it takes like figure skating or gymnastics to like get me Mm -hmm. into an Instagram hole that's really deep. Mm -hmm. I went so deep when I found (laughs) you on Instagram. I think I like went all the way back to your first post. And how did this, like, how did you become so multifacetedly talented as an artist. And I, so I'm, I'm going to break down the questions because I almost asked like 27 at once. Okay. When did you realize that you wanted to like grow up to be an artist? Oh, well, I will say that I did not identify or um, think of myself as quote unquote an artist until I was almost well, no, I was 30 years old. I was in my 30s, um, my early 30s. I grew up um, knowing that I was a creative kid and that I was a creative person. Uh, I loved reading. I loved writing. I was one of those really nerdy kids who was like in first grade, reading at a fourth grade level, um, mm. writing these very like fantastical stories for my writing assignments. Like I was all in with writing and reading. And um, so my teachers always uh, saw that. They always nurtured that in me. Um, my head was always in a book. Um, 
And, you know, I was the kid in junior high who would check out a book one day and turn it in the next day. And like the librarian and I became like best friends. Um, So I knew that I loved words. I knew that I also loved um, in junior high. I was on the debate team. I was, you know, part of the theater club. So I did drama. Um, I took this theater arts class where we did like what they called record miming. And so like we would like do lip syncing to like songs and like record videos. So I loved all of that. Um, and so I knew I was a creative person. And when I was 13, I discovered poetry and I discovered that I could write it. So my ambitions of like becoming a marine biologist, thanks Free Willy, um, <laughs> completely like I just abandoned those. I grew up listening to my dad was a huge Prince fan. So I've literally mm. been listening to Prince since like I was born in 1982. So I grew up listening to so many different types of music and I just loved music. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a poet. I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to work for Rolling Stone and be a music critic. And I'm also going to do some investigative journalism like Lisa Ling, because this was back when Lisa Ling was on Channel One News. Mm. And I was like so in love with what she did as a journalist, as an investigative Same. journalist and as a and as a broadcaster. Right. Like she was amazing. Yes. And so I had all of that um, kind of informing my ideas about who I was and what I wanted to pursue in my life. But when it came to visual art um, and like singing. So like my mom is a phenomenal singer. My stepdad, phenomenal singer. He's like done, he's toured with like Michael Buble and Teddy Pendergrass. And like, he's done backup for like some amazing people. Um, my brother can even sing, even though he like doesn't like to. My sister can sing. They play instruments. I'm not musically inclined at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I just, I knew that when it came to um, music stuff and when it came to visual art, that just was not me. And in seventh grade, I tend to tell this story a lot because people always ask, how did you get started? Um, Did you always envision yourself as an artist? And I'm like, no, because I was the kid who in seventh grade, after looking at one of my still life paintings, (laughs) my art teacher was like, listen, you're so because they knew that I was in theater arts, that I, you know, was doing other things. I was um, I lived in Texas at the time. And back then, Texas had these academic competitions called UIL. And so I was Ooh. doing oration and theater. Art. I was doing all these things for these academic type of competitions on the weekends. And so my my art teacher knew that. And uh, <laughs> they were just like, listen, you're so good at other things, uh, other types of, you know, art you don't have to be good at visual art. It's okay. And that kind of cemented in my mind that I was not quote unquote, an artist. Um, because in my mind, especially then being an artist or especially being a fine artist, like I didn't know, I didn't realize there was a difference, right. Or that there could be a difference was, you know, someone who was like my classmates who had amazing still life, you know, paintings and charcoal drawings and, you know, could paint pictures of flowers. I mean, my, my, I think about, (laughs) I think about my little paintings back then. And I remember thinking to myself, this is kindergarten. Like, this is terrible. I'm 14, 13, 14 years old. What is this trash? And so hearing my art teacher kind of be like, 
you're right, it's trash, but it's okay. <laughs> you're good at other things. Um, really kind of pushed me away from um, uh, unearthing or even considering that uh, there was, um, you know, visual art and uh, creating images was any type of, um, my, you know, related to my creative voice. Um, so that was, yeah, that was my first experience with visual art. And I pretty much didn't look back <laughs> um, until I was in my late 20s. And um, I was, I had just been diagnosed with bipolar disorder following um, uh, an experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. And as part of my new treatment plan for this new diagnosis, I was seeing this new, brand new therapist and I was talking about, you know, a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing and, you know, um, a lot of the, the agitation and the frustration and uh, the just unease and the tension that I would feel as part of my hypomanic symptoms and uh, and how intense it was. And I was talking to her about how um, the 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 pressure that I would feel when I, you know, during these moments would be so intense that I would feel like I needed to hurt myself in some way to try to like just release the tension. Like it was just so unbearable sometimes. And so she was walking me through how I can channel that into something constructive so that I wouldn't hurt myself. And so she started talking to me over a couple of sessions about the benefits of uh, making something with your hands. And she started talking to me about the data and the science behind it and how therapeutic it is. And she started talking about how, you know, art therapy and art expressive therapy is something that they use, um, especially like for senior citizens. And she just had all of this really great information um, that I really latched onto because it was very like science based. It was, you know, data driven. Um, and back then that was really important to me because I was, you know, new to learning about mental health and mental illness. Um, and so, you know, she was like, you need to find something constructive to do with your hands because, you know, it can help with your serotonin levels. It can help, you know, ease your mind. It can help your body relax. You know, she just kind of talked me through what the physical benefits of it were. And so I was like, OK, I went back in my mind and I went back to when I was like, you know, in fourth and fifth grade. And I remembered that, you know, for one Christmas, I had gotten one of those rainbow looms, you know, those little weaving looms yes. that you can get. Um, and I was like, oh, I remember doing that. And I remember trying to learn how to crochet. So I scooped up my kids after my therapy appointment and I went to Walmart. And I was walking down, you know, and this was a Walmart that had one of those huge craft sections like Michael's. And so they had yarn, they had fabric, they had like all this stuff. And so I was looking for the yarn and the hooks and I happened to turn down an aisle that also had uh, a bunch of like cheap craft paints and brushes and little small canvas particle boards. And I was pushing my cart and I'm looking and it was just, it really was intuition, but it was so, so fleeting that I'm to this day in shock that I even paid any, any attention because it was like a nanosecond. But it was, I should grab some of those. Like it was literally just a whim. And I was just like, I can't even remember, like, I don't even think I even paused for very long. I just grabbed 
different stuff and threw it in the cart. And then I kept moving. And I, you know, I went to the yarn section, grabbed some crochet hooks, some yarn, took it all back to my house. Uh, all the paint stuff sat in a corner in my room. Uh, during this time, I was like 27, 28, um, mother of two. Um, my who He's now my husband. But back then, um, we weren't together. We had broken up. Um, drama. And... <laughs> And, um, you know, we were living in separate places. I was a full-time college student and I was actually renting an apartment from the university. So I was this 28 year old single mom on this conservative Christian campus, um, <laughs> and around all these like young college kids. And, um, I, I think I was approaching, uh, midterms. And so I had kind of like thrown some stuff, you know, thrown the stuff in the corner, but I, I pulled out some of the yarn and I spent about two weeks trying to crochet and I finally abandoned it because one, it just pissed me off and, <laughs> and two, it, it's just too tedious for me. Like I can't I just, I want to, I want to, I love fabric and textile based stuff. I love seeing what people can create with it, but it's too tedious for me. Um, so I was like, this, this is this. No. So I, I <laughs> the stuff away and uh, my partner at the time, he had the kids for one weekend and I was supposed to be doing my homework, um, using that kid free time to catch up on work. And instead I was not uh, mostly because I just felt terrible. I was like in a I was having another episode and I just was not feeling well. And I started feeling like all that pressure and that, you know, just that angst and anxiety and just agitation Um you know, really kind of consuming my body. And I was sitting in my room and I looked over in the corner and I was like, oh yeah, I have all this paint stuff. And I had just had therapy a couple of hours before. And my therapist again had been like, you know, I know you gave up on the yarn stuff, but you know, maybe try to keep finding something that's going to work. So I heard her voice in my head and I was like, well, all right, fine. So I grabbed the bag and I just literally, I mean, I hadn't touched paint literally since seventh grade. And, um, you know, I don't even think I had like colored. Now I had done like some collage stuff and stuff like that, but I hadn't really like done anything like this in years since I, you know, was a teen. So I, you know, dumped the stuff out and I had like these little small tubes of paint, um, you know, basic colors, right. And, um, some brushes. And I don't even think I, I don't even think I grabbed water. I just, because it was acrylic paint. That was the other thing. It was acrylics that I had grabbed. And I just start, I had this little small thin particle canvas board and I just started putting gobs of paint on it and just kind of started you know, like looking like a DJ, just, you know, mixing <laughs> stuff, moving stuff around the canvas. And it took about 45 minutes before I realized that like my thoughts had stopped ruminating, that pressure that I had felt had like eased. I was cal- like, I was much calmer. I felt like stable. Um, my mind was quiet uh, my anxiety was like gone. And I just, I remember the sensation feeling that, that, that tactile sensory input of the paint on my hands and moving it around. Like it just, 
it was so grounding for me. Like I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Um, it was so grounding for me and it literally just changed so much for me. And so, um, I went back to therapy the next week and I told my therapist, so I tried out the paints and it worked. And so she was like, yes, victory, you know, like keep going. Um, and I literally spent, you know, six months just buying more cheap canvas, buying paint and just painting. Like I didn't, you know, I was during this time because I had started a blog in 2010. So I was writing and I was, you know, journaling and chronicling, uh, you know, my my experience with mental health and with, um, you know, postpartum depression and things like that. So, you know, like I was I was still being creative, but at the same time, my creative voice was emerging in this other medium, but I didn't realize it at first. To me, it was just something that was a hobby. And so I didn't, I didn't even think of it as a hobby, really. It was just something that I did that felt good. And so like, I didn't go on YouTube looking for any tutorials. I didn't, um, I will admit to, especially back then, I've gotten better over the years, but back then I knew very little about art, like visual art, fine art. I hadn't even been to a museum until like maybe three or four months prior to this. Um, I went to the Philadelphia Museum of Art for the very first time. That was my first time. Like, So this would have been just in my chronology. Mm-hmm. So this would have been like eight years, nine, 10 years ago. Yeah. You go to the. Yeah. So you're like, I'm into this. I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with this art. It's making me feel good. You're like, well, let me like, just go see a museum. Just like, what are the other like? Well, and well, because because I was in college, I was I was I transferred to this four year school after getting my my associate's degree. And um, I we had um, there were two things. One, the school was connected to um, this artist who and they had a lot of work by him. And his name is Makoto Fujimura. And he is still to this day, one of my all time favorite artists. I follow him on Instagram. He doesn't even know I'm alive, but he, he, he creates, he, especially back then he created these pieces where he talked about the beauty that can come from pain and brokenness. And he talked about a lot about like culture care and how that ties into faith. And so anyway, around the campus, the campus, the school had purchased a lot of art from him and hung it around campus. And so I would spend lots and lots of time sitting in front of his works and his, it was the first time in my life that I was actually impacted by a piece of visual art, like a painting. Like I had never, like I had, I had read about like people like weeping in front of, you know, Rothko paintings and stuff and being like, okay, what? But <laughs> standing in front of his work in front of Makoto Fujimura's pieces around the campus, like I would, I, I would just have such visceral reactions to it. And um, he came for an artist talk and, you know, I was in, I listened to the whole thing. I was totally engaged. And um, following that, the Philadelphia Museum of Art had this brand new Van Gogh exhibit. And so mm-hmm. one, of our, one of my teachers was giving extra credit if we went, blah, blah, blah. So that's how I wound up at the art museum. And 
I mean, the Van Gogh stuff, I was like, all right, this is cool. But there were a couple of other pieces where I was like, oh, okay, you know, by some other artists that and and looking back back then, they were definitely more abstract. Right. And um, I just that was kind of my introduction into understanding that art can can visual art um, and abstraction especially can um be a channel for personal healing and growth and, um, you know, like a portal to just, um, unpacking a lot of, a lot of personal things. Um, before then, I didn't understand that art could do that in that way through music. I did through performing. I did, but not through actually like seeing a painting. It was the first time that I really understood, um, the impact that a painting you know, that a painting could have the same impact. So at that point, when mm-hmm. you see you're in school, you see Makoto Fujimura's work for the first time. But at this point, you've just discovered like, oh, I really like this. I really mm-hmm. like painting. But you hadn't yet been like, wait, this could be my career. Like it was still just like kind of like an outlet. It was still just an outlet. And um, I I was taking a, a humanities course And part of the humanities course was, um, you know, we walked in one day and my professor had one of those projectors up and she put a paperclip on the projector on, on, you know, on the projector and she put it up on on the screen and she was like, is this art? And so it kicked off this debate about what is art, what, you know, and that conversation led to a discussion about abstraction and abstract art and whether or not abstract art is art and all of these things. Right. Right. And so the class is having this like big, huge discussion when we get to that part. And she's showing us some works by like Jackson Pollock and, you know, the the usual white men that you see when they talk about abstract expressionism, especially. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there. I'm kind of just taking it in again, not connecting what I'm doing with any of that. Right. And (laughs) again, remind remind you, I'm like the oldest student there. okay? I'm surrounded by these 18, 19 year olds. And one of them had actually kind of like become a friend. She had been over to my apartment, met my kids, all of that jazz. So she had seen some of these like pieces that I had been doing because, you know, I was like, you know, I had put them up around my apartment, not thinking anything. Right. She opens up during this class discussion and was like, well, what Adrian does is art. And I was like, girl, what is you doing? <laughs> St- Listen here, you don't, you don't, you don't put my business out on Front Street. Like, <laughs> like I was, and I just looked at her. She was like, "What?" She was like, "It is." And I was like, and my teacher was like, "Oh, well, Adrian, do you have pictures of it?" And I was like, "No." She's like, "Well, she has them on her Instagram." And this was back when Instagram was still just five people. Like Facebook hadn't bought them. This yes. was back in 2011, right? They had like five filters. Uh. Right. It had just started. it was like Amaro. Yes. Whatever. Yes. Yes. Because I got it in 2012. Yeah. So like that was even. a Yes. It had just started. And so I was like, girl, you know, and I, I think I'd only shown one picture of something I had painted by that point. But she was like, yeah, she has a lot of art in her apartment and she made it all. And I was like, just tell her all my business. That's why I can't be friends with you. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just, were you were you like, was it like one of those things where it's like, when someone's like, yeah, sing for the class or like, yeah, show. But then you're like, but like, was a part of you like, 
okay, fine, look at it. Or were you like, no, I really just fucking told you, everybody. My I was really like, see, this is, see, look, listen, white girl, this is why you don't understand, but you can't just be telling black people's business. Like, this is, no. <laughs> like, I was very much like, sis, no. Um, like, you're about to get your pass revoked. I can't, I can't deal with you. <laughs> like you you ain't coming over no more um, <laughs> I was just really sitting there like <sighs> so um so because you're like 28 at this point or yeah, something like you're like eight so okay so know, yeah I'm, you're like too yeah, many teenagers too much I'm vulnerability a, I'm a single mom right like and I'm at this conservative Christian school because they have this amazing social work program that I I wanted to be, you know, that I, that's why I was going there. Um, I, you know, I had a wild multicolored Afro. I had tattoos, uh, you know, so I, just, uh, I already was enough of like, I stood out enough. Okay. Oh yeah. I, I, I was like, where can I start your fan club? Like <laughs> listening to that description, but I get it. Cause we're in college. So did you end up showing the class at that moment? I did not show the class. Cause I was like, no, but no, when I was getting ready to leave, when the class was over, when I was getting ready to leave my teacher, her name was, her name was Brenda. Um, and again, we were like the same age. Okay. So she was like, Hey, so come here. And I was like, she's like, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm thinking she's going to talk to me about my grades or something. Right. Cause I, cause I had a couple of missing assignments <laughs> and she was like, yeah, so talk to me about these paintings. And I was like, mm, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I was like, all right, fine. So I pulled up my phone and I showed her, um, and I had actually just done this one piece that was, it was big and it had, it was all primary colors, so like yellow, blue, um, uh, red, right. But I had, I had, I had with my hands, I had pretty much like, you could see, you know, uh, orange and green and, you know, so I had like mixed it all together and it was this big piece and I called it elements, and um, I showed that one to her and I showed her a couple of others and she looked at me and she looked back at the pictures and then she looked at me and she was like, well, listen, she said, I know she's like, you're a single mom. You have two kids. You're just trying to get through college. I know you want to be a social worker um, because you want to be a therapist. She's like, I know you're big on mental health. Um, she said, but listen, um, she said, and you're definitely a writer. She's like, there's no question about that. Um, she said, but I think that if you were to bring some intentionality to what you're doing, she said, I see a lot of raw potential here for some incredible work and just a, a different aspect of your creative voice. And I was just like, I mean, all right, Professor Ebersol, like, okay, give me my, give me my phone back. Like, I was just standing there like, okay. And she was like, um, she was like, she's like, I know you joke about being art history illiterate. She said, but do you know anything? You know, she's like, I know we talked about uh, abstraction. She's like, but um, you might want to look into abstract expressionism. Um, you might want to look into intuitive art. She said, there is a type of, you know, there are people who make art that's, it's just purely intuitive. And she was like, and really abstract expressionism is rooted in that. That's its whole ethos. That's what it was about, right? She's like, Jackson Pollock had like cigarette butts. It wasn't about perfection. A lot of it was really about this raw, emotional, 
you know, just expression of your fullest self. And she said, when I look at what you're doing, I see that. I see the raw materials of that. Even if you just do it for therapeutic purposes, I think, you know, you might find some inspiration if you kind of look into those things. So I was like, okay, well, you know, thank you. Snatched my phone back. Um, But over the next couple of weeks, I did start, you know, I I did do some Googling and I did start learning more about um, abstract expressionism and um, intuitive based art and, um, you know, learned that there are, you know, there are tons of artists who, you know, didn't go to art school or didn't start um, painting or collaging or anything like that until they were, you know, like in their 30s or this was their like second or third, you know, career. Um, you know, they they quit their job and dove into making art. And so I, I started finding all of this while also learning some of the the history um, behind abstract expressionism. And, um, that, that, that changed things for me because I felt like it kind of validated what I was doing as authentic and, um, as, okay, so this is, this, this is art. And although I still didn't think of myself as an artist, but, it did help me see what I was creating as art. Um, And so, you know, like I just kept going with it. It wasn't until 2015 that I decided to um, go from it just being like a hobby and a therapeutic outlet to, okay, I want this to be, I want this to be my next career instead of social work, instead of, you know, cause now by this point I'm a stay at home mom. Um, my, my, you know, I just had a new baby, but my middle son had just been diagnosed as autistic. Um, and so we were getting him a lot of help. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm a stay at home mom with three kids. Um, this is something that's flexible for me. You know, I was doing a lot of mental health and maternal mental health advocacy. So I felt, um, that I didn't necessarily have to, stick with my goal of becoming a therapist in order to uh, be of service to people and, you know, like make a difference. Um, you know, that was very important to me. So I was like, I can stick with my advocacy over here. I can express myself this way. And people seem to be responding really well to what I'm creating. So, you know, like, you know, yes, like this, I should throw myself into this and like do this professionally. And so that's how I made the transition from, you know, it being a therapeutic outlet to it being a hobby that I really enjoyed to, you know, uh, becoming, um, you know, a working, quote unquote, a working artist. There's no quote unquote. You are like a literal <laughs> working artist. Um, that made me cry like four times. I wrote down a few <laughs> things. One thing that I wrote down is, and I definitely sense this with my own recovery and mental health and mental health and addiction because I am recovery from trauma getting into something that is connecting to your childhood self. Like for me, it was like gymnastics, figure skating, Mm -hmm. language, like all these things that I used to really like when I was little. And then for whatever reason, the world tells you this isn't necessarily for you. And we, it gets left in the dust. And also 
when you mentioned that about thanks free Willie, thank you Twister, because I thought I wanted to be a med- I thought I wanted to be a storm chaser for sure for like a long time. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's not where I was trying to go. But I think it's just so interesting when I listen to your story of recovery. It's like connecting to our childhood self is so mm-hmm. often. I think for so many people, one of the avenues it does start to help our our healing journey, and that isn't so much of a question, just so much of an observation. Most definitely. The other thing that was an observation is that like just for people dealing with kids, like you can have like, I mean, here you were a baby artist and I bet you're, I don't, you had an already term for it. It's like live, the, like, what was the, like the thing in seventh grade that you, it was like a live painting or whatever. Oh, it was like a still life. It was one of those. Still you know, life. Where, yeah. Where the teacher sets up, you know, a table right, with a bunch right, of right. stuff and you just, you know. But it's like, you have this young artist and you creating anything as a vulnerable moment. And then this, yeah person agree like or you know just kind of dismisses or mm-hmm. and i just think that to me in that story just really drives home like we have to be so careful with yes. young minds and like not because I, th- I look back on so many different times from my life where what would have happened if she would have said like girl no this is amazing like try again maybe this way like could you have right. maybe not had to go on a 15 year detour or however long detour right. before you're like, Oh wait, this is for me. So I think that's an important thing to remember. Like no matter kids, peers, whoever, just staying open to like your words have mm-hmm. like, they, they matter. Impact. Yeah. And they can cause like lives to go, you know, in so many different ways. And then the, so then, but basically you had a moment there where it went from hobby to this is what you're doing all the time. You mm-hmm. are a literal working artist, which I think is incredible. And now I have just like a lot of questions about like art, because I don't like about, but your art and just how it works. <laughs> visual art, mm-hmm. visual art is so many different things. Um, and I think it really just depends on who you talk to, who you ask. I mean, if you ask a critic, an art critic, their answer is going to be very different from if you ask a person who is just, this is just their hobby and their outlet. This is just something that they do, right? Um, I mean, it, art takes so many different forms. Um, I would, you know, visual art, you know, visual art is also photography, right? There's photography, there's painting, there's, um, 3D art, which is like sculpture. And, um, you know, there's stuff that's like so high concept that when I look at it, I'm like, okay, I don't understand this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I think art is, is so expansive. It's so expansive. And so for you, your first, when you first got into it, it's like, uh, like, how did you discover, like, what you like to make? What do you like to make? Like, Mm -hmm. for me, like, I love it when I have, like, you know, like a new client comes in and, like, sometimes I like a corrective thing, but usually I don't. Like, it's more fun for me to get to, like, make what I would rather make Mm -hmm. from the get-go versus, like, dealing with some crazy fucking, like, box color or whatever else the hell (laughs) that client put their hair through before I meet them. So what is, like, when you're, like, Okay, I'm Addy. I am just so you know, everybody. Like Addy did give me permission earlier. Like it is Adrienne Nieves, but we did talk <laughs> earlier, and she does go by Addy, and so she did tell me to go by Addy. So, but whatever. So, but if it's like you know nine in the morning or whenever you like to make your art, and you're like, oh, I'm just what is like what makes your art heart sing? I so I definitely think that when you are when you have an when when you fully embrace 
being an artist and um, whatever form that takes for you, whether your performance, whether, you know, music um, or, you know, visual, I think um, there are definitely seasons where you are living the art um, that has yet to be made. And then there are seasons where you're making it right. Mm -hmm. Um, And where, you know, what you're making is informed by what you've been living through. And so for me, um, I definitely go through periods where I don't make anything at all. Um, But I am uh, gaining, I'm, I'm still living art. And that could be through me doing my hair, how I dress, um, the movies that I watch, the music that I listen to, um, the other art that I look at, the stuff that I read, right? All of that, um, for me is how you kind of like live out. Like to me, art is something that's, that is meant to be lived, right? Um, and that's just through your expression of self. Um, to me, that's a, that's, I don't know. That's just how it works for me. Um, so even if I'm not actively making anything um, or, you know, actively engaged in my art practice, I am still taking in what I'm experiencing. And then I find when I do get back into making um, those things that I've been absorbing start coming out in my work. So uh, my practice and my process are very um, intuitive based, right? And very, um, for me, it's almost uh, like, it's it's almost like praying. Like for me, painting is a very spiritual experience, right? And so um, it's very, you know, spirit driven, intuition driven. And I find that when I'm, I'm making that um, I might, create something and not understand where it came from until maybe a a day or a week later. Right. Like it takes me, you know, like making the piece and then stepping back and kind of looking at it and then having a dialogue with it and to, to be able to recognize, Oh, it came from this memory or, Oh, it came from this thought, this feeling, um, this problem. Right. So for example, currently, uh, I have a show coming up, a uh, two-person show coming up next month in New York. And so I'm a little bit on deadline because I have to get, I have to have things to show to the curator for the show. And um, for this particular show, uh, they want works that are small. So they want works that are like 20 by 20, 20 by 30, you know, nothing big. And I've been painting big for at least over the last year, right? Like I've been painting six to eight feet sized, you know, canvases. So I've been, and also painting is a very physical practice for me. So I'm all, you know, it's very, it's all about movement and fluidity and flow. Um, cause that's, that's just how I work. That's just how I allow, um, you know, whatever's coming out, I allow it to just kind of like channel and flow through me onto the canvas. Um, so coming back to having to work, to work on canvases that are much smaller, in size has been very challenging. Um, And for a few weeks, I didn't understand why I was, I just felt so much resistance. Mm. And I didn't understand why, you know, and I was like, well, maybe I just need to get over it. Like I should be able to, you know, like, even if I just think of them as little doing little studies, right? Like I I should be able Mm. to work small, 
Like, you know, um, but this week over the last like five to seven days that has started to click for me, what the issue is and what the works that I'm creating right now are really about. And that is, you know, um, all of the, um, the tension and the strife and the constraints of the last, you know, 11 months during this parallelogram that we're living in, um, <laughs> all, all of the, the tension, the loss, the stress, um, and even some of the, 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 the brighter moments of it, you know, that being home with my family, you know, 24 seven, cause you know, we're still in quarantine cause we're high risk. Um, so we definitely have really been in the house together, um, since March, um, you know, I've, I've been, I've been kind of just compressing all of that, um, because of at a national level of what we've been going through, we've just been kind of forced to just like march through it right? Without like pausing to like stop and like process. And so I'm finding that my, my, I don't like working small right now because it's, it's, it goes against what I would like to do right now. And so I'm realizing that there's this tension between what I want to do, but what I have to do. And in a lot of ways, it really also takes me back to some of the more, uh, you know, abusive moments in my childhood where I was living under such horrendous abuse, but I was forced to just kind of endure it and live it and kind of like get through it. Right. Cause I didn't really have any other choice. And I feel like that now I feel like there's so many things that are beyond my power and that I don't have any say or choice in, but I'm trying to do the best that I can. And so looking at these smaller size pieces, it's like, oh, I don't have to fight the, you know, I, I don't, I don't have to fight, um, painting on them. I need to use, I need to channel all of that and, you know, use the size um, to speak to that as well. And so like kind of having that, that flip for me mentally and emotionally has made it much easier now to grab one of these smaller canvases and kind of just, I mean, some of them they have, like I'm looking at one right now and um, it has so many layers of paint on it. Some of them are very thick because some of the paints that I have are like a, a thicker consistency. And so, you know, the brush strokes are very thick, kind of like what they call impasto. And then other layers are very thin, right? Because I'm just covering up what I already did. And so, you know, some of these canvases I've reworked like five or six times because I just pour out whatever's in that moment, look at it later and be like, oh my God, I hate this. Or I wrestle with whatever emotions come up when I look at it. And then I just apply another layer on top. And so I'm allowing all of that to kind of uh, feed into the process of making these new pieces and and just letting um, the process be as much um, a part of each painting story as, you know, whatever the final result is, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. It reminds me of like in yoga, how we'll think about like, well, this practice on your mat, like it translates off your mat and mm -hmm. other places. And so I think that's really beautiful. So with how many different kinds of paint, like, do you work with like, is there like oil paint? Is there like mm -hmm. water paint? Is there like acrylic paint? Like what's your favorite? Is there one kind of paint where you're like, oh, I don't fuck with that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> it's just not what I, I don't like that at all. Like I'm an acrylic person. And like, how many kinds is there? 
So there's, I mean, there's probably even some that I don't know. So there's, there's acrylics, which acrylics is, is my boo. Um, I think that's what I like too. Cause yeah, I'm a acry- massive fan of, yeah. Yeah. Like acrylics. What you do. Yeah. Acry- but also too, like what I like about acrylics is it's, um, it's easy. It dries fast. Um, you don't have to add anything to it to make it, you know, like acrylics is, is not tedious. I do not like tedious things. So if I have to add oil to it, if I've got to, you know, wait weeks for it to cure, like, I'm like, oh my, no, I don't have time for that. So, or I just don't, I don't, I don't think have I have patience. time for that either. I, I don't love tedious stuff either. I just, no. So that's why I don't use oils. Because oils, oh. you have to, there's, there's, there's a process involved and you have to wait for it to dry. And like, I'm, it's so funny. I'm looking at my shelf right now and I have this, this container of these oil sticks that I got like months ago. Cause I was like, maybe now is the time where I'm finally going to try to use these oil sticks. And every time I look at them, my body's like, no, <laughs> Just, <laughs> no, cause no, we're, no, we're not doing that. Um, there's watercolors. Um, which I don't do because again, you need, you need a certain amount of control. Um, they can get messy very, you know, the colors can get messy and muddy very quickly. I respect and love people who can use oils, who can use, um, um, watercolors, who can, um, you know, use different kinds of paint, um, that require a more rigorous process, um, I just cannot. I am also terrible with brushes. I last night uh, when I was trying to clean up my studio, I threw away like six brushes that had been like dried and caked over in paint because I just forgot about them. So mm. um, with oil, you know, when you use oils, you have to use special cleaners and stuff like that. So I just I acrylics. Also, to acrylics clean up easy. You can peel them off. Like if you dries on you, you can just peel it off. Um, I. Because I'm very hands-on. I know there are some artists who will paint with um, gloves on. I don't do that. I use my hands, you know, so I will literally get covered in paint. And, you know, I miss spots when I, even when I shower and my family will be like, you have this paint spot on your neck. Like what? (laughs) On your eyelid, you've got some paint. What happened? I'm like, oh yeah. But I like, I like that tactile feeling. So um, acrylics is safe for that. Um, I have just over the last two years started using house paint. Um, yes. So, um, and what I, what I primarily use house paint for, so I'll just go like to Sherwin Williams, shout out to them. Cause I love their colors. Um, they, if you just get like the paint samples, the, like the sample size, that's good enough, especially for, um, maybe not like top layers, but I use the house paint more for like underpaintings. So like the best Ah. layers of what I'm doing, um, I will use like house paint. So like in, for example, in your piece that you have, the, the first like two layers are just like house paint that, you know, in a color that I really liked and I wanted to use. And that like subtle, blushy, gorgeous paint. Oh, I love it yes. so much. And can I just say, I was like trying really hard to not interrupt you earlier, but it's <laughs> so true. I can, your pieces are so spiritual. I feel like Thank I can you. feel it when I watch and when I, like I, um, I write next to that piece that you're talking about and like it, and there's different aspects of it that I 
that my eye just hones in on on different days. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like there's different areas of the painting that like my eye will go to like based off of what I'm kind of going through. Mm -hmm. So I, and I, and when you were talking about how, you know, Makoto Fujimura was the first artist that like ever made you feel impacted in real life. Your art was the first art that ever made me feel impacted in real life. And I hadn't even seen it yet. It was just (laughs) pictures of it. And then when I got it in real life, it's like, wow. I mean, just so... I mean, like, I can't get enough of it. As you know, I like, I've, I've had a real issue stopping impulse buying your work. It's, um, also hearing something, I'm sorry that I requested the smaller pieces, but what's a girl supposed to do when she wants, when she has a smaller wall and she wants, you know, Adibis are on it. Like what's, you know, I mean, so I'm sorry if I put, but maybe I got you ready for your um, museum show because I was making you do something. It was good practice. Honestly, it was very good practice. And I think too, I think with your pieces, um, your smaller ones, I think I felt less pressure. Like I could kind of flow just a little bit more. Um, I think I, which again, that's another reason why when I sat down to start creating new pieces for this upcoming show, I was really kind of like confused as to why I was feeling so like, ah, but again, I think it's just because I'm, I need to use that. I need to, I need to pour like, my therapist a couple of years ago told me that um, when you have lived through trauma and when you have lived through, you know, things that have had an impact on you, you know, if you don't, if, if there's not a way for that energy, for that impact to, um, to be released, it'll just sit dormant in yeah. your body. And she was like, you know, trauma has to move. Right. Yeah. And she was like, so that's why painting for you is so important. And that's why it's such a personal um, spiritual thing for you. She said, because that's how you release it. Um, and you know, I, I will say for your, for your piece, your, your bigger piece, um, the first one that I did, I, you know, I listened to your memoir, you know, like I, I, I had it playing here in my studio. I listened to the audiobook, <laughs> and, you know, like I would just kind of, you know, I would, I would make some, some marks and some, you know, I would paint a little bit, then I would just sit and just listen. Um, and when I do commissions, I tend to do that. I like to, um, I don't, I don't allow people to give me like, it's not a, it's not a collaborative process. Um, I upfront will tell people, um, you know, here's what you can expect. And, um, you know, just tell me if you have anything currently in your life that's, you know, resonating for you, that's important to you, that you're thinking on where you're at. And so I allow people in that moment to give me feedback and input. And then I take that and I sit with it and I meditate with it. And I use whatever I can, whether that's, you know, like if I follow them on Instagram or like with you, you know, you have you had an audio book, um, you know, you had the show. Right. So I. I, I really kind of take all that information and it sounds very woo, but I really do channel and do what I can to divine for people what I feel um, mm. that they need from the piece that they're getting from me. You know, so it's a very personalized um, experience. And, you know, there's this call and response aspect to my work in general, um, just because of how I paint and how I process. And so my at its core, my work is really about getting us to face ourselves and, you know, to use, 
you know, what's in front of us as a portal to whatever it is that we need to, um, to heal, to grow, to, um, face some hard, difficult things, um, to examine and, and, and gain clarity on how our identity, you know, our identity of self has kind of shifted or changed because of what we've gone through over the course of our lives. Um, and it's, you know, it's also really too about finding language to um, be able to articulate maybe some things that we weren't aware of before, um, you know, about our lived experiences. So it's, I say all of that to say, you know, I'm, it makes me very, very happy to hear that what I hope my work is doing is it's actually doing that, you know, for you. So hearing that you see something different in it every time you look at it, that you write in front of it, that you have this personal connection to it like that. That's success for me. So one thing you mentioned before that I think is really interesting and it's like, I don't, I think I have this like annoying habit where I just like want to like identify with people's experiences. So it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I understand. But it's like, at the, at the beginning of my podcast, I kind of went out of my way to not listen to other podcasts because I didn't want anyone else's mm-hmm. mode or like process right. to like impact like how I wanted to do it. Because I really, especially with this podcast at the beginning, I mean, the first like 40 something episodes I produced all like, you know, by myself, like mm-hmm. I booked the people. I mean, I did have like a sound engineer, but as far as like the booking it and how they turned out, like I, I was very like, Maybe not control. Well, yeah, controlling. Like I wanted it to be like a certain type of way. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to listen to how everybody else did it because I didn't want their ways to impact, you know, my ways. Mm-hmm. So it's like once at the very beginning, you, you had said like, I've gotten better over the years of like learning about like art. And like I say art, you guys like in quotes and like fine art, because I just noticed when you were talking about it, it's like to me as like a fan. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm only someone who's like really been like looking at the art world for like not like maybe like a little over a year it's like your art is so valid and so like you know to me sought after like I want yours more than I want really anyone so I just find it interesting like in the just like that you kind of were like well how does mine fit into other people's and whatever Mm -hmm. but I'm curious like so what did you learn in that time of what you're like okay fine I'm gonna go to these museums I'm gonna start to like learn about these things like Mm -hmm. what did you learn about so I will say as an artist who has been te- I've been teaching myself about art history. Um, you know, I've learned that abstract expressionism, um, the way that I've interpreted it, you know, it's really kind of a push against the need for representation for, you know, visible representation. Um, you know, it's kind of like, it was like this push against, not against, but, um, you know, just uh, it was like a a response to this desire to not just focus on, you know, figurative works, right? Works that, you know, basically represent people, right? That, you know, you can actually see there was this, you know, push to within abstraction itself, there was this push to um, bring some more emotionality into it and spontaneity, right? It wasn't about anything really being planned, um, and, and, you know, it's, it was really also too about taking, again, taking what you've been absorbing and translating that into a canvas, right? And um, it was also about experimentation um, and figuring, you know, just kind of like trying things and seeing, um, you know, uh, different uh 
you know, different ways to apply paint, different ways to um, different washes, right? You know, different effects to have with paint. So it was really about experimentation, freedom, um, and spontaneity, right? Um, when you look at the history of abstract expressionism, you will definitely see a lot of focus on white male artists. Um, over the years, there has been more of a push to highlight uh, the women of abstract expressionism. Um, but even with that push, there's still there was still a big focus on the white women. So like Joan Mitchell, who is a personal fave of mine, um, Helen Frankenthaler, Lee Krasner, um, you know, some of the 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 black and brown women who have not been um, as recognizable, although over the last couple of years, there is starting to there's starting to be more of an interest and more of a focus. Um, Bernice Bing is a huge favorite of mine, probably next to next to Joan. Um, I also love uh, Julie Medtru, uh, Mary Lovelace O'Neill, um, Howardina Pendel. She she one of the things that she's most known for is cutting hole punching out little tiny circles and like stitching her canvases together and applying the circles. There's like literally thousands upon thousands of like these little hole punch circles on her pieces. Her work is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, uh, there are so many um black and brown women artists who have been working in abstraction and and who have been doing abstract expressionist work um but they are just now starting to get recognition and so um what i have learned is that as as not just an, a self-taught artist who didn't go to art school um but also as just someone who loves this particular form and medium of art is that the art world is very slow to change and the art world is very focused on what sells. It's very driven by the market. Um, and I've learned that there are different um, levels, I guess, or different circles in the art world. There's museums and other institutions. Then there's like galleries and the art market. And then there's like your local art scene, you know, that's a mix of artists who are self-taught, artists who have gone to school, artists who are hobbyists and artists who are working right? Professionally. Um, you know, so there's different, and you kind of just have to see like where you fit and what your goals are and what you want to do. Like what type, like for me, I had to really kind of, um, figure out what type of art career I want and what does success mean for me. And I had to kind of define that for myself and then figure out, okay, you know, how my goals or how I can achieve my goals and, and, you know, through whether that's through my local art scene, you know, whether that's through, you know, do I need to get gallery representation? You know, I kind of had to figure all of that out. Um, one thing that has come out of this for me is that um, I've taken my experience as a mental health advocate um, who has created space for others um, through my advocacy efforts in the past and I've translated that into, you know, this other side of my art career, which is making room for artists like myself, you know, so that's why Tessera Arts Collective exists, right, is because I've seen that there's this lack of representation, there's this lack of support and resources for black and brown women and non-binary artists uh, who work in abstraction. Um, there are, I've talked to so many artists who have, um, were interested in abstraction, but in art school, their professors push them away from it. 
Um, mm. Because you're like, you know, if you want to have a viable career, you should focus on figuration or you should focus on, you know, something else. And there are so many black and brown women um, artists who um, have who haven't engaged with abstraction because of that. Is that changing? It, it's slowly changing. And what what helps is the artists who have been working for years finally getting some recognition by the art world, right? And by the art market, right? Um, so, but Tessera Arts Collective is determined to be part of making that change, right? And so that women, you know, black and brown women and non-binary abstract artists don't have to wait until they're 80 years old, like Virginia Jaramillo, to get a solo exhibition, you know what I mean? At a major art institution, you know, like I'm tired of seeing, um, you know, women like Bernice Bing, she, her work's phenomenal, but she, she passed before she ever was really fully recognized mm. Like she was so overlooked. Right. Um, you know, Alma Thomas is, you know, finally getting so much recognition. She's probably, you know, she's gotten the most probably over the last like five or six years, but she's not here anymore. Um, so, you know, part of our goal with Sarah Arts Collective is we want to give these artists who are working in abstraction, their flowers world, they're still here. We want to thank them for paving the way for us um, to explore this medium and, um, you know, kind of, you know, pushing back against this idea that um, black and brown artists can only create work that's figurative, right? That we can like, yes, our lived experiences, there's nothing abstract about our lived experiences as marginalized people, but abstraction can really be a place where we find language and we find um, power and we find agency and we find freedom and liberation in being able to express ourselves as fully human. Like that's what abstraction is for me. And that's mm. why I think it's so important and, 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 um, necessary for black and brown people to engage with abstraction, both whether they be artists or whether they just be viewers. And right. And so we want to honor these artists. We want to create um, resources and opportunities uh, for these artists. And then we also want to um, engage, you know, black and brown communities um, and expose them to abstraction and help them under develop a personal understanding and relationship with it and help them be able to kind of see, look at a piece of abstract art and maybe derive some meaning about their own personal experience um, from looking at it. That was a big answer. But. No, it's gorgeous. How can people help support the art collective that are listening to this? So you can find us on Instagram. It's the same as our name, Tessera Arts Collective. We also have a website, uh, TesseraCollective.com. We have a Patreon. Um, we love Patreon. <laughs> we love Patreon. And, and Abstractions is also incredible. Yes, Abstractions Magazine. The thing about Abstractions Magazine that's so cool is that I didn't even realize it like it actually until I'm kind of ashamed in like the last few weeks, it's not just artists as well. It's also like art critics and it's supporting like a whole gorgeous, right. like it's like a fully functioning a ecology. Full like, yeah. So we have, so we have um, interviews with artists um, because I'm a big believer that I'm tired of reading art books that are written by white male art critics that talk about other people's work. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I, as a black queer woman, I think it is crucial that we control the narratives about our work and that we um, inform the narratives about our work and that we have agency and power in this area. And so 
part of the goal for abstractions is to create the space for black and brown women and non-binary artists to share their stories, share their experiences, share their thoughts about abstraction, to talk about their work and their processes. Um, so it includes interviews. Um, it also includes personal essays. So we um, ask people, hey, do you have favorite um, uh, black and brown women abstract artists? Do you have a favorite uh, work that's by a black or brown woman, you know, um, abstract artist. Do you, what's your, what's your relationship with abstraction been like? You know, what have you learned? What has abstraction, you know, taught you? What have you found? Right. And so, uh, we ask people to send us, uh, responses to send us, you know, essays. And so for this issue, our first ever print issue is coming up next month. I'm very excited. Yeah. We've been working so hard on it. Um, we're going to have interviews. We're going to have, uh, essays. We are also going to have a review of Howardina Pendel's latest show at The Shed in New York City called Rope Fire Water. Um, we are also going to have an editorial on Mildred Thompson, who is a phenomenal uh, Black woman abstractionist from Atlanta. Um, and we are also going to have um, some artwork in there. And some of the artwork is going to be, we ask people, we, we put out a call for art and we ask people to submit their work and we just finished our selections. So I'm excited because ah. we're going to get to like highlight some unknown up and coming um, artists. So it's just, it's a, this is a very foundational issue for us because we wanted to try to kind of include some established artists. Um, you know, like we have sh an interview with Shanique Smith, but we also wanted to try to highlight maybe someone you've never even heard of that maybe they all they have is an Instagram page, but their art is amazing. I'm almost I'm scared, honey. Excited. I'm going to get bit with the obsession bug again. <laughs> and then, and actually, you know, another thing just occurred to me and I'm like dead serious. Like I, I need it like yesterday is I, I need it. I like, I am going to just have to sell a purse or something. Cause like, I need to buy roots like today because <laughs> when this comes out, people are going to come for it and then it's going to get taken so. away from, well, I do too for the other pieces, but I can't, I can't lose her. And like, are you about to say someone? No, like, no, just, no, no one else has roots. No, no I'm talking shit. I'm, I'm buying it today. I like, we, like we have to, we have to, because we have to, and I'll have a nervous breakdown if someone else takes it. And my husband and I already decided where it's going to live in the house because he was like, Jonathan, it's eight feet by eight feet, which I will say, I didn't realize that roots was that big until like a week ago, but I was like this wall. So this, we have this one, a huge wall, just this like big blank wall. And I was like, Oh my God, we're going to turn this into our gallery wall. And roots is going to be the first member because it's, so it's big enough to hold it down until other get put around it so i i'm buying it today we have to figure it out <laughs> i'll transfer shit around <laughs> like it's, it's just i can't wait i'm not going to take the chance because this i think this episode is going to come out in like a week or two and i will not i cannot i've already well, lost I'm, enough in my life and i will not be losing roots i'm sorry you know what it's just no it's you you won't lose it i promise you you're literally well the i only promise person. too because i'm buying it so <laughs> you're the only person who's been like i have to have it Everyone else has been like, no, because I can feel the greedy little Instagram fingers. I can feel the greedy. Nope. I can feel the greedy little Instagram fingers when they see I can just see their little fingers tipping and topping and bopping, <laughs> trying to come for my piece and I will have it. Um, wow. Okay. So that just launched out of me because I got I so selfish and <laughs> like for just a minute. And I mean, too, because I am obsessed with abstractions and it's so amazing. I can't believe it's going to be the first print issue. So people need, and so people can. Patreon to the Tessera Arts Collective, but then they can, can't they also be a sponsor of Abstractions if they so, want to yeah. be? So if they want to be a sponsor of Abstractions, again, if you go to our website, tesseracollective.com, um, on our donate page, that lays out all the different ways that you can um, donate to us, that you can support the work that we're doing. Um, we have an artist grant that we're trying to fund because 
the other thing that we're big on is providing direct financial support to artists that's unrestricted. So not, you know, kind of going through this whole grant process, just if artists, you know, they need money through projects, through, you know, working with them, whatever. We're trying to just make sure, which is another reason why I've been so grateful to be working on this magazine over these last like six, seven months, because whether it's paying a writer, whether it's, um, uh, yeah, paying a writer or, um, hiring an editor or, you know, like our, our team, you know, like we've paid out over $10,000 to Mm. people during a pandemic, right? Like we've been able, and it's literally because people have been sending us donations. People have been, you know, sponsoring the magazine. People have been supporting us on Patreon. And so that money that we're getting is not like we're sitting and holding on to it. Like it's going right back out into the projects and the things that, you know, and it's, it's just direct money to people. And that is a big part of, you know, it's a, it's a core value, you know, in, in our mission. And I'm really, really happy for that. So yeah, I'm very excited. This issue, we've invested a lot into it. Um, and I think, look, I will just say it. One of the things around 2013, 2014 was when I started myself as a black woman, queer abstractionist started being like, okay, well, where are the black people at? Like, and again, you have to remember, I didn't go to art school. I didn't know a lot about art history. Right. So I was like, okay, well, there have to be other like people who look, where are they at? Right. So, um, while there has been more exposure, um, and we know, you know, that there's more awareness now, there's more education now than there was maybe when I first started painting back in 2011, 2012, um, there still hasn't been, um, a publication dedicated specifically to black and brown women and non-binary artists who are working in abstraction. And so we are making the very first that like the very first. And so it's terrifying. Um, But but exhilarating. It is. It's exhilarating. And I'm so excited. And I hope that we are not the last. Like I want this, I want this to push um, art publications and the arts media that does exist, like artsy, artnet, art news, you know, like I want this to push them to be like, oh shit, we need to like, yeah, we've been covering here game. and there, but yo, we need to really like step up our game because this other group over here to Sarah Arts Collective, oh my God, they put out like, I think people are going to be so surprised and I'm very excited for people to just be like, oh shit, they weren't playing. No, we're not playing. We're not playing, no. okay? We're I already, I already knew. I feel like I already knew, but I can't wait to <laughs> cannot wait to read it in real life. Now, one thing that you said, we're going to start to wrap up, but one thing that you said that I feel like I like to end up my podcast with like a little like yoga moment where it's like you went to your yoga class and then like they didn't teach a thing you wanted to teach. And you're like, fuck, I really wanted to open my hips or like right. my ankles and we didn't even do that pose. So... But I, I kind of, but so you can't answer this however you want, but this, we, I got to interview this amazing psychologist who's a Holocaust survivor. She's a doctor. She's amazing. Her name is Dr. Edith Egger. And one thing she said to me when I interviewed her is that when she was deciding on whether or not she was going to go actually become a psychologist, she was like already in her forties. And she was like, she said to the guy who told her like, oh, you should do that. She was like, I'll be 50. Like by the time I'm done, I'll be 50. And he said to him, and I always get chills when I think of this, you're going to be 50 anyway. So like, Hello. do you want to be 50, like with the degree or without it? And when you were saying, you know, I didn't start to self-identify as an artist until I was in my early thirties. 
that just covers me in chills and inspiration because it's like, we can follow our passion and yes. you following your passion has been so transformative to not only you, but this community that you've created. It's a transformative to me. Um, like, so is there something about, cause it, you, you know, black, queer woman, you are making a world and making a community that I know has not been, uh, it has not been as accepting Mm-hmm. It ha- not as it hasn't accept- been accepting. And it's like Ashley Marie Preston, our other friend we love so much, says, you know, it's like, if that table doesn't have a chair for you, like you bring your own fucking chair. Yep. So it's, I, I just feel so much, I feel like I've learned so much wisdom and life lessons that I've seen in action in other places, but it's like you have really lined them up in such an incredibly powerful way. Oh, so I guess that's, with those things together, what would you say to anyone who's listening to this episode? And they feel that there is that artist within them, but they are too scared to bring it out. What do you say to that person? Well, I would start by saying, um, you know, my, my husband is a software architect and he swears up and down that he is not an artist, that he is not creative. And I'm like, do you see what you do every day? You Mm. build software that's creative, right? So I would say that I believe that everybody is creative and that everybody is an artist. It's just a matter of finding out what that looks like for you. Um, You know, Jonathan, you're an artist, right? Not just, you know, like, yes, through how you express yourself, but you know, the hair that you do, right? Like you're an art, you know what I mean? Like you're an artist. Like the fact that you even said earlier, you know, um, you know, I don't always want to do like a correction. I just want to do my own thing. Yes, of course. That's your creativity being like, honey, let me just let let me make my magic. Right. Like, I don't want to have to deal with this textile dye. Right. Let me just (laughs) let me just work. Let me just work my magic. Right. Like everybody has an innate ability to create and to generate things in their lives. And I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to express that. And so maybe for for those who are listening, it's not paint. Maybe it's not yarn. Maybe it's not um, dance or, you know, playing an instrument. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe it's um, building software. Maybe it's building robots. Maybe it's like there's like to me, that's what I want people to understand. I want people to understand that creativity and artistry are infinite. There are no limits. There are no bounds. There are no rules. Like you can literally do and be anything like you are an artist you are a creative being you just have to undo and unlearn all that messaging that's been kind of shoved into us that you know that you're not right you kind of have to and once you start once you start seeing living as an as an as as art as an artful experience right as as, once you start realizing that how you live, how you move, how you show up in the world is in and of itself art, like the embodiment of art. I think that will really help um, you figure out um, what means of expression is meant for you. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to like, you know, change careers, right? You don't have, or, you know, in this social media day and age, everybody wants to monetize their hobbies, right? Everything, not everything has to be commodified, Right. But 
Um, literally every, I believe everyone is an artist that everyone is creative. It's just a matter of finding what sticks and what helps you come alive and br- to bring that out. So that's what I would say. Like you just, it, just walk in it, walk in that power, walk in that awareness and just watch it just transform your life. And I would say to that, like drop the mic. There's no better way to end this gorgeous podcast than that. Adrian Nieves, uh, thank you so much for your time, for your artistry, for your skill, for everything. Thank you. Everyone for listening me. to this, follow, support. Um, do not come for my painting because I already bought it. So back up off of Roots One, but there is other gorgeous works that Adrian has um, that you can get your hands on if you're lucky, like me, slash, like, uh, you know, it's really cute that we should just say really quick. There was this one time when I saw this really gorgeous work that Adrian had done and then I wanted to get it. But then I made the mistake of showing my husband that I liked that. And then he went behind my back and bought it for he me for did. Christmas. And it's like this gorgeous, gorgeous. I just love I it so much. So I think that story is so cute. To you. I felt so bad lying to you. Like, oh, this. I know. I felt, so... You know, it really didn't occur to me that you're like, oh, yeah, sorry. Like someone like bought that same like. And you had also like sent that to me like in a folder of like files yeah. that like wasn't even on your website. So I guess that was like random. But. I believed it and I loved the surprise. So we love Adrian and Mark working together to do a Christmas <laughs> surprise. Um, thank you so much for your time. I love you so much. This episode is amazing and I just love you so much. Thank you. I love you too. I'm so, so glad that we got to like converse like this. So happy. You've been listening to Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was the artist and writer, Adrian Nieves. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and show a friend as well. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you would like to. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor, who is amazing and deals with these ads and all my little mess ups on our gorgeous ads and my intros and outros every week, is Andrew Carson. Thank you so much, Andrew. And our transcriptionist is Alita Vuncha. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson. 